Renanim. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Cobb's Corner. If this is your first time listening to Cobb's Corner, welcome and to my returning listeners, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to be starting a new uh, review series. We're going to be going through the American Film Institute's 100 uh, Greatest American Films of All Time. There's 100 of these movies, so this will be a long-term review series, and it's got the likes of, I'll read just the first 10, uh, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, Casablanca, Raging Bull, Singing in the Rain, Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, Schindler's List, Vertigo, and The Wizard of Oz. So a lot of these movies I haven't seen. Some... Very few movies on this list I've actually watched, and there's even fewer on this list that I've actually reviewed already. So we're going to be reviewing all 100 of these movies, and for the movies that are based on novels or based on short stories, those will be pushed back to uh, later later reviews, so I'm not going to be not going to be doing them in order. I'm going to, if the movie's based on a novel, I'm going to read the novel first, and then watch the movie and review it so I can compare and contrast you know the movie versus the novel so so um but we're definitely going to be reviewing some some class some some classic films uh most of these films are before my time um today's episode will be Citizen Kane a movie that's before all of our times you know Citizen Kane I mean this movie came out in 1941 it's as of the recording of this podcast it is 82 years old and uh you know 1941 it's a classic and that's what we'll be getting into today so a little little bit of an introduction following the death of publishing tycoon charles foster kane reporters scrambled to uncover the meaning of his final utterance rosebud storyline a group of reporters are trying to decide, decipher the last word ever spoken by Charles Foster Kane, the millionaire newspaper tycoon, Rosebud. The film begins with a newsreel detailing Kane's life for the masses, and then from there, viewers are shown flashbacks from Kane's life. As the reporters investigate further, the viewers see a display of a fascinating man's rise to fame, and how he eventually fell off the top of the world. This movie is directed by Orson Welles, written by Herman J. Mankiewicz, Orson Welles, and John Houseman, stars Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, and Dorothy Comingore. So this movie is written by, is written, directed, written and directed by Orson Welles, also stars uh, Orson Welles. So without any further ado, let's go to Cops Corner. So as I stated in the introduction, the movie follows movie follows the death of of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane. Uh, some of the highlights of this movie: uh, the movie is about two hours long, and some of my favorite parts include there's a scene where we get a flashback of how when Kane was a was a child, he was like I don't know maybe ten years old. He was living in the Midwest, and then his parents had given had given him over to an investor who was to be his legal guardian, and pretty much 
made him heir to a huge fortune that he came into, a huge sum of money that he came into at the age of 25. And then he used all that money to then go and buy up the uh, publishing pub, pub, publishing companies, the New York Inquirer. So, so he went into the newspaper, the, the, the newspaper business, and uh, from from there he went and bought up a bunch of the competition and became very well known not only in the news in in, in the the news publishing uh, uh, biz business, but then also in the world of radio and just in business in general and and yeah you know so, you know charles you know c c f kane or you know charles charles foster kane you know he just became he just rose to fame not overnight but o- over over time going from newspaper tycoon to a bit of a i don't want to say socialite but he had one of the more public private lives you know he had been as i said in news on the march the newsreel in the wake of his passing that he was that he was thrice married and twice divorced and his first wife was the nephew of a president was the, the, the niece niece my bad his first wife was uh the president at the times uh niece and folks are saying how she keeps it up she will be she will no longer be a president's nephew. She will be. She'll, she'll no longer be a president's niece. She'll be a president's wife. So, um, so we see. So we see C.F. Kane uh, rise rise to power, and it's it, it's it's interesting the way that this movie is framed. It's like there's a lot of like back and forth. It's like sort of. So there's there's a there's a lot of like flashback sequences. It's like they go back and forth between like. I guess the present, whereas like okay, now that Charles, now that Charles Foster Kane has died, now let's go back in time, and we see his his life through the lens of like his childhood best friend, of his publishers, of his ex of his ex wife uh, Susan Alexander, who was his second wife, and 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 we and we, we we see how his relationship with his second wife, like he had. She had sort of half jokingly said that she wanted to be a singer, so then he goes out of his way to make sure that she's a singer. And as one character put it, that he never, that he did it all for love. He just wanted other people to love him. And that's why he got into politics eventually. You know, he went from being one of the biggest news publishers in the United States to then running for governor in the state of New York and pretty much publicly sort of calling out the current governor at that time and him claiming to be a man for the people, claiming to be a man who's going to fight for the underpaid, for the underrepresented man, for the working man and and so but he had but he made no shortage of enemies, he made no shortage of enemies in, in, in the press and then eventually the governor came after him and the day before the election news news dropped that he was involved in some love triangle with the governor's wife and then he ended up not not winning the election so 
if I were to compare, if I were to compare like a lot of the back and forth to another movie, it would be maybe Snowden by Oliver Stone, which is a movie I've been, I've been, I've actually been meaning to to review uh, Snowden, but uh, Snowden, which is a movie that I watched in high school uh, with, um, I just want to give him his flowers, Mr. Maroney. Um, shout out to Mr. Maroney, uh, Engineering and Science University Magnet School. Uh, this was spring 2017, uh, in, in Intro to Film Studies. Snowden by Oliver Stone, and in that movie there's a lot of like back and forth between like Snowden in the hotel room in Hong Kong, interviewing, you know, being interviewed by the journalists at The Guardian, and then flashbacks to 2008 and 2010 and, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like back and forth. And I realized that this movie did come out in the 1940s. As I said in the intro, it is it is 82 years old. So there's that time period, I guess, sort of like recency bias that we would have today. It's like, I, I feel like today we're used to movies being like, like the first act, like coming straight out of the gate, being like really just high energy and like fast pace and that's not this movie you know that 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 is not this movie um this movie it, it's i'll admit it's not like a knock your socks off movie although i mean afi did put it as the greatest film of all time and i can see why it's because of the writing it's because of the uh directing it's because of the recurring um word that comes out that comes up throughout the movie rosebud which was his last word uttered on earth that was his his dying word was rosebud so so um we we see how yeah rose rosebud was his was his last word spoken on earth and we see how all the journalists who have broken the story that that uh that Cain has died they are the ones who go and interview all these people from from Kane's from Kane's past, you know, like I said, you know, his second wife, his you know publishers, a few a few of his colleagues, a few of his childhood friends, and with with the common goal in mind of of finding like Rosebud, like what was Rosebud, what was Rosebud, and and it's and it's nice that we that we get to see. Cain's life through the lens of those that of those that he was survived by and uh, and I, I think that's that's why this movie's a classic that's why 82 years later you've got you know podcasters like myself uh, re- reviewing this this movie and I, I think it's because of the writing it's because of the writing, the acting, and the fact that Orson Welles like really pushed for the movie to get made. Um, the DVD copy of it that I have, there's a the the DVD copy of um, of this movie that I got. It has a second disc that is the documentary, the fight for Citizen Kane. Which now this is not a review of that documentary, so I haven't watched that documentary in preparation for this review or anything. But I'm definitely, definitely, like, after seeing this movie, I definitely have to go and watch that documentary and see, like, with post-production and behind the scenes, like, what was going on. (laughs) Because, like, 
you know, because because this movie, I mean, Orson Welles, he's such a presence in this movie. Everybody's such a presence in this movie. Everybody is just actually acting and giving a hundred percent. And the majority of the cast were first-time actors too. So I, I think that's another reason why this movie is such a classic. And and um, and. And throughout the movie, there's, again, that term Rosebud, which we then find out at the very end of the movie that apparently, like, Rosebud was the name of the sled company, I think. Like, as they were, like, burning his, like, childhood sled, the word Rose, Rose, Rosebud was on it, but, um, but, uh, we saw how he was on top of the world. It seemed like he was on top of the world, and then he lost it all. Like he was on top of the world, and then he bought a uh, giant castle in Florida. You know, brought a giant castle, which bared which bared the same name as the castle that Kublai Khan had. Uh, starts with an X. Maybe it'll the the name the name was probably going to come up in um, in the trivia portion, but. He bought this giant castle and then had a private zoo and had this giant palace, like, all to himself and just became a recluse. It became a recluse to the point where his either second or third wife complained, start, started complaining about how all he does is buy her stuff with money and all he does is, like, do things that will make, that he thinks are going to make her like him and love him and appreciate him and he doesn't do anything out of the goodness of his own heart and he has again become a recluse and he says how like oh i thought you i thought you said you always wanted to live in a palace and then she says like i want to get out of florida i'm tired i'm tired of florida i want to go to new york or cut off from the rest of the world it could get boring when you don't have anybody to talk to and so so yeah that that's that's uh pretty much what happened uh, to uh, Charles to Charles Foster Kane? He's a man who had it all and then lost it all, and all he had to say when it went, and then when it was all said and done, when his when his time was up, all he had left to say was Rosebud. So overall, I give this movie a solid nine out of ten. Yep, nine nine out of ten. Um, like I said, you know, this movie's a classic. Uh, this movie does deal with themes of remembrance and yeah, re- remembrance as well as like legacy, and they dive a bit into uh, relationship as as well. And uh, we see how uh, Citizen Kane, you know, he's, you know, he, he was this really, like, rich um, tycoon who maybe wasn't, who maybe wasn't the best, you know, husband and father or lover and, you know, so, you know, I mean, he left behind two ex-wives 
and you know a bunch of colleagues who who had kind of average things to say about him you know he wasn't really remembered as like the nicest person or as like the the best like individual like just to to be around in in general so i think i think what we can learn from from orson welles and citizen kane is that you know character character matters and the fact that you have no control who lives who dies who tells your story um yes i made a hamilton reference <laughs> um Shout out to uh, Backlick Cinema, the podcast, in his review of Alien. Uh, I can't think of the podcast, but it's like a couple. It's like a husband and wife who do, who does um, who have their own podcast. They were they were guests on the Backlick Cinema episode, his recent episode. Um, they reviewed Alien, and one of the members of the couple that has the podcast. They said how, like, early on in the podcast, they were going to have a Hamilton reference every episode. I'm sure this is not the first Hamilton reference I've made in the history of Cops Corner, but <laughs> I just feel like it was apt. Like, it, it just kind of, I had to, I had to slide, slide that one in, slide that one in there, so. But yeah, you have no control over who lives, who dies, and who tells your story. You have no control over how you're remembered once you have, once you have transitioned. You know those who survive you. You know they're the ones who, they're the ones who will tell your story. You know they're they're the ones who tell your story. They are the, you know they 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 are the ones who have they're the ones who tell your story. You have no control over what they say, over how they uh, re- remember you. So it's important to while you're here, while we're all here on on this earth. And I kind of touched on this. A bit in my change your life series so go check out that uh, review series maybe my Groundhog Day um, review I said how like it's, it's important to cultivate relationships and to be the kind of person who people want to be around not just at work but people but that people can depend on you people can people you know feel like they can go and like go grab coffee together you know you guys can go go out for drinks go grab dinner you know to build relationships and to be the kind of person who is who's not a control freak and who's not difficult to work with like i know that's been said about a million people in hollywood um even a million people like in various industries i mean people said the same thing about steve jobs r.i.p you know that he was difficult to work with that he would have these outbursts when he didn't get his way and so you know um citizen kane can teach us all the importance of character the importance of building a legacy building a legacy worth remembering building building bu- living a life worth remembering and therefore building a legacy and and also, again, like I said, character. And I will leave you with a quote from uh, Bruce Lee. I'm sure this is not the first Bruce Lee quote that I've said on Cobb's Corner, but Bruce Lee said, the key to immortality is first living a life worth remembering.
Okay, on to Citizen Kane Plus, on to uh, IMDb. So, in the awards category, Citizen Kane was nominated for nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars in 1942. And um, Orson Welles was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role at the 1942 Oscars, or, or 19... Yep, 1942 Academy Awards, Oscars. Um, Orson Welles is also directed for, also nominated for Best Director at the 42 Academy Awards. Uh, Herman J. Herman J. Mankiewicz and Orson Welles won the Oscar for Best Writing and Original Screenplay at the 42 Oscars. Um, there's a little spiel. On Friday, July 19, 2003, Orson Welles' Oscar statuette went on sale at an auction at Christie's, New- at Christie's in New York, but was voluntarily withdrawn so the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences could buy it back for just $1. The statuette included in a large selection of Welles-related material was going to be sold by Beatrice Welles, the youngest of the filmmaker's three daughters and the sole heir of his estate, and was expected to sell at over $300,000. So that statuette of... That uh, statuette that Orson Welles won for uh, best writing best writing and, and original uh, screenplay would have sold for over $300,000 20 years ago. I do not have an inflation calculator in front of me. I mean, this was 2003, so 20 years later, I do not know what <laughs> that value would be today. But um, it's a ton of money. A ton of money. Yeah, Orson Welles. Uh, Greg Tallinn was nominated for Best Cinematographer, Black and White, in uh, at the 1942 Oscars. Uh, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA. Uh, or, uh, Citizen Kane was nominated, was a 2012 nominee for Best DVD slash Blu-ray Special Edition release for the 70th Anniversary Ultimate Collector's Edition at the 2012 nominee for the uh, Saturn Award. Yep, yep, the Saturn Award. So, wow, yeah, that was 70, 70th anniversary. Um, at the Satellite Awards, Citizen Kane was a 2011 nominee for Best Classic DVD, Ultimate Collector's Edition in 2011 at the Satellite Awards. It won... The NBR Award, it won, uh, it won Best Film at the National Border Review Awards, NBR Awards, in 1941. It won Best Film. It won, it won Top Ten Films, it was, part of the top t- it was a part of their Top Ten Films that same year, 1941 NBR Awards. Uh, George Coloris, George Coloris won Best Acting at the NBR Awards in 41. And Orson Welles also won Best Acting at uh, the 1941 NBR Awards. National Film Preservation Board, uh, 1989, 1989, Orson, Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, won the National Film Registry, so it is now on the National Film uh, Registry for the National Film Preservation Board um, in the United States. 
Citizen Kane won the N the at the won the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Film, the NYFCC Award for Best Film in 1941. And Orson Welles won Best Director, or was nominated for Best Director at the NYFCC Awards in 1941. Orson Welles was also nominated for Best Actor. Also nominated for Best Actor at the at the 41 NYFCC Awards. Online Film Critics Society Awards. In 2002, Citizen Kane was nominated for the OFCS Award for Best Overall DVD. DVD Exclusive Awards. In 2001, Roger Ebert won, won uh, Best Audio Best Audio Commentary. He won uh, the Video Video Premiere Award. Yep, the 2001 uh, Video Premiere Award went to Roger Ebert for his audio commentary of Citizen Kane. Actually, come to think of it, I think that's actually the version of the DVD that I have includes Roger Ebert's audio commentary. Um, you know, Roger Ebert, if you're listening, you know, I would love to love to have you here on uh, Cobb's Corner. Uh, yes, uh, Roger Ebert, who is no longer with us. He right, right. He died back in 2013. So, uh, yeah. R.I.P. Would have loved to have had that man on this platform. Orson Welles um, won the OFTA Online Film and Television Association OFTA Film Hall of Fame. In 2021, in, in, in 2021, he won, 2021, Orson Welles won the OFTA Film Hall of Fame for character. Either the character Citizen Kane or Orson Welles was, was inducted into the OFTA Film Hall of Fame, Online Film and TV, Online Film and Television Association. Yeah. Uh, as Charles Foster Kane, the award was given posthumously. Right. Right. Okay, so the award was given posthumously. Orson Welles as Charles Foster Kane, I see. Uh, 1997, Citizen Kane won the OFTA... Won, uh, Citizen Kane won motion picture at the OFTA Film Hall of Fame at the Village Voice Film Poll in 1999. Citizen Kane won Best Film of the Century at the VVFP Awards. Village Voice Film Poll, best film of the century, best film of the 20th century. That is very high honor. It's probably one of the highest honors in film. Film of the century. I mean, <laughs> you know, I can only imagine the film of the century at the end of the 21st century. I can only imagine what the nominees will be. Yeah. That's it for awards. On to trivia. Despite all the publicity, the film was a box office flop and was quickly co-signed to the RKO vaults. At the 1941 Academy Awards, the film was booed every time one of its nine nominations was announced. It was only re-released to the public in the mid-1950s. Wow. I mean, I forgot to mention this in the intro, or in my like actual review portion, like in my favorite parts and in my themes and analysis. But I completely forgot how this movie did not receive 
the kind of like love and appraisal that it has today. I mean, all those awards we just went through, that was not the case in 1941 when this movie came out. It was... <laughs> This movie came out. It was a flop. It, people did not, and I, I feel like that's going to be a couple movies on this list. Like they did not get good reviews at first, but then as time progressed, it then became a classic. It started to resonate with with folks. Like I said, the first time you watch this movie, it is not a knock your socks off movie. Okay, um, it's a movie you kind of gotta. Maybe you need to watch it a few times. You know, but. uh the camera looks up at Charles Foster Kane and his best friend Jedediah Leland and down at weaker characters like Susan Alexander Kane. This was a technique that Orson Welles borrowed from John Ford, who had used it two years previously on Stagecoach in 1939. Welles privately watched the movie about 40 times while making this film. I mean, that's a very uh, conscious decision that Orson Welles, uh, on, on Orson Welles' part, and that's a very, very... Uh, crafty and uh, clever way of uh, filmmaking you know so big big props not just to Orson Welles but also to John Ford in um, in the movie uh, Stagecoach which may or may not be on the list I was not about to go look through one read through 100 movies I have them all written down but not right now um, <laughs> the audience that watches Kane make his speech is in fact a still photo <laughs> To give the illusion of movement, hundreds of holes were pricked into, pricked in with a pin, and lights moved about behind it. Wow. <laughs> I feel like, now that they mention that, like, that actually <laughs> makes a ton of sense. It's a still photo. And then, again, give the illusion of movement. I'm telling you, man, that, that, that was... I feel, I, I feel like filmmakers... Of like the 20th century filmmakers of like 50 plus years ago like and again I kind of touched on this in my review when I when I was on backlick cinema a uh, li little over a year ago when I when I was on the backlick cinema podcast and we talked about Rocky I said how we take for we take it for granted today with like visual effects like I feel like if Citizen Kane were made today it's like they wouldn't have to have a still photo and like poke holes in it like they would just have you know extras or they you know hire extras or they'd have you know CGI and we really take it take for granted how easy we have it today it's like you look back at movies like Citizen Kane and you see how like these folks had to like hustle it was not easy back then like it was actually a struggle and they paved the way for you know filmmakers of today you know the the Spielbergs and the uh, John and the John Favreau's and the George Lucas's and the J.J. Abrams and you know the Ron Howard's so so yeah I definitely appreciate this bit of trivia <laughs> Moving right along, the film's opening was just the title and no star names and no star names was unprecedented in 1941. It is now the industry norm for Hollywood blockbusters. Yeah, you know, I remember, um, I think a, a lot of movies from that era, from like the 40s, even going into the 70s like I was literally just watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail with my students <laughs> last week and um, I told them how like back in the 70s 
they had all the credits at the start of the movie. It was like all the credits at the start and then again at the end. And then 1977, George Lucas, he started that trend of putting all the credits at the end of the movie, having just the title and then the movie starts, put all the credits at the end. That is the, that is the industry norm. But it was guys like Orson Welles having just the opening title and no star names in 1941. And then George Lucas doing the same thing in 1977. The same thing that got him sued by the WGA and by the Directors Guild. And that's the reason he didn't direct Empire Strikes Back. Because he had to literally make the film on, on his own. And he cut ties with those guilds. and so. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was unprecedented it was like frowned upon back in the 1940s you know just put the movie title and no star names but that's normal today so times have changed during filming orson welles received the warning that william randolph hearst had arranged for a naked woman to jump into his arms when he entered his hotel room and there was also a, pho a photographer in the room to take a picture that would be used to discredit him. Wells spent the night elsewhere, and it is unknown if the warning was true. Wow. Okay, so shoot. Uh, now I'm really looking forward to checking out that documentary. Um, <laughs> you know, the the, the fight the, the fight for Citizen Kane. Which I may or may not have to like, I might have to do maybe a bonus episode on that documentary because this trivia. <laughs> it's like, okay, so Orson Welles was apparently black, being blackmailed by William Randolph Hearst. Like, wow. I mean, to this day, it's unknown if that warning was true. I guess, you know, we'll, we'll never know because Orson Welles did not spend a night in that hotel. But, man. And especially back then, too. I mean, back then, 1941, shoot. There would be no Citizen Kane today if that were, that were the case. But. A different story, a different version of this story is told by Wells during the Orson Welles story, Part 1, in 1982. In this version, Wells says he was lecturing in Buffalo, unlikely to have occurred during the Kane production. He was warned by a Buffalo cop about a naked, underage girl was waiting for him in his hotel room. For reference, the story begins about 33 minutes and 30 seconds into the arena program. Oh, okay. So I, I, I see. There, so, there's, so there's some sort of like documentary, the Orson Welles story, uh, back in 82. Alright. So... Yeah, it was, okay, so yeah, it's, it's, it's unlikely that Kane, that, my bad, that Orson Welles would have been lecturing in Buffalo, um, and then apparently he was warned by a Buffalo cop about some naked underage girl that was waiting for him in his hotel room, but either way, Kane never went back to that hotel room, and thank God, because, you know, otherwise this movie never would have happened, guys, so, yeah. Big ups to Orson Welles. You dodged a bullet. On to some goofs. In continuity, when Susan Alexander Kane is doing the jigsaw puzzle by the fireplace, in the first wide shot, it's clear that the puzzle is almost complete, but in a subsequent close-up, the puzzle has hardly been started. I feel like that's been pointed out in a million movies, like just 
trouble with like the blocking and maybe they forget that they forgot what it looked like in the previous shot so so yeah a subsequent close-up shot the puzzle has hardly even been started at the first time on the opera house stage just before susan begins to sing two men pass carrying a lighter carrying a litter behind her twice <laughs> yeah i mean they just pretty much you know probably looped that same sequence and then just thought that nobody would uh, pick up on it but here we are the jigsaw puzzle ah back to this jigsaw puzzle that Susan is putting together changes considerably between the shot where Kane walks into the large room and asks her what she's doing and the next cut where Kane is standing in front of the large fireplace. The amount of puzzle that she's completed increases greatly between the two shots. Um, it is my headcanon that Susan was actually a sorceress and that she recent and that she between shots pulled out her magic wand and put together the puzzle herself and she thought uh the viewers are, are not going to be able to pick up on this the fact that i'm a sorceress <laughs> i don't know when kane is performing his rooster as a shadow show to susan his hands are not in the position they would be to cast the shadow as it appears. I picked up on that. I definitely picked up on that. I thought maybe it was like a duck or something, but wolf. When Mr. Thatcher has Mrs. Kane sign the contract at Mrs. Kane's boarding house, Mrs. Kane goes over to the closed window and opens it. In the first shot, the window could only be raised to the height of Mrs. Kane's shoulders, but in the second, it is above her head. I picked up on that. I picked up on that. Although I couldn't tell if the window was open or closed to begin with, though. Because it was, like, clear. So, yeah. On to some factual errors. The Russian newspaper lists Charles' first initial as C. In Russian, the letter is pronounced S. There is another letter in Russian that looks like an upside-down lowercase h that is pronounced CH. Either that letter or K for the Russian form Carl should have been used as his first initial. All right, so to my listeners, if I have any listeners in Russia, if I have any Russian-speaking listeners, feel free to, um, you know, chime in in the uh, comments below. You know, let us know. This is true because I do not speak Russian. Not yet. During the breakfast table sequence, Kane refers to the president as Emily's Uncle John. There is no president named John between Tyler, 1845 to 1850, and Kennedy. I picked up on that. I picked up on that. Maybe they just use a fictional president, which is not uncommon in movies. They just use a fictional, fictional president, you know, so that way... Just to kind of keep things general so they don't get too into, like, politics, I guess. One of the posters advertising Susan Alexander's opera appearance shown in the newsreel misspelled her first name, Susan, with, an, with a Z, not an S. I mean, me personally, I would have kept it. I would have been, like, uh, my stage name, Susan, with a Z. But my government name, Susan, with an S. Or be like Johnny English Reborn. 
it's like the scene where they're on the plane and it's like and uh, Daniel Kaluuya is like uh, I don't think that's a Susan to which then Johnny English Roman Atkinson says uh, it's not Susan it's Shushan <laughs> he said something like it's Shushan not Susan Incorrectly regarded as goose. In the beginning, Kane says Rosebud. The nurse enters the room after the word is spoken. The shooting script only mentions Kane and the nurse being in the room. However, within the movie itself, Raymond the butler tells the reporter that he had heard Kane say Rosebud after the fight with Susan, as well as just before he drops the snow globe, implying that the viewer is shown... Implying, what, implying that what the viewer is shown in that scene is from Raymond's point of view. I sort of kind of picked up on that, maybe. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, within the movie itself, Raymond the butler tells the reporter that he had heard Kane say Rosebud. Okay, makes sense. We're going to reveal some mistakes. During the picnic scene towards the end, Wells had to shoot against a back projection because a location shoot was too costly and time-consuming. The stock footage used for the exterior was taken from King Kong, 1933. May or may not be on the list. Hence, on closer inspection, the four birds that fly by are in fact very definite pterodactyls. RKO told Wells to take the pterodactyls out of the shot, but he liked them and decided to keep them. <laughs> Alright, again, you know, you had to work with what you had. Back yeah, you gotta work with what you got. Sometimes, you know, back then it was it was a struggle, you know, get getting movies made, you know, on a budget. So yeah, stock footage from King Kong. Now I gotta check out King Kong. <laughs> a movie that came out eight years prior. After Kane's mother signs a contract for Thatcher, she stands up and seems to walk through the table on her way back to the window. This is due to the table being moved in order to create a continuous tracking shot from the front of the set where the table was to the back. Alright. Well, um... Yeah, makes sense. You know, they, they, they needed a tracking shot, so they had to move the table. And the table was probably moved, and we didn't see it in the actual scene. When Leland and Bernstein are inspecting Kane's art purchases, Leland moves a statue which wobbles too quickly for it to be made of a dense stone such as marble. This is very, very true. Very, very true. The long dolly shot from outside the Kane house in Colorado and all the way back inside through two rooms, ending on the far side of a table, could not have been achieved with the table in place and instead the table had to be moved into position once the camera was passed. It's an almost perfect illusion except that the hat on the table is still wobbling slightly from the sudden movement by the time it comes into shot. I have no idea. Um, I did not pick up on that at all, ever. Thank you, IMDb.
In the aquarium, a wire holding the octopus is visible. I noticed that. Did you? You listening? Um, <laughs> did you? Did you notice that? Let me know in the comments. Anachronisms. In the newsreel, the announcer states how a defaulting boarded defaulting border had left the deed to a supposedly worthless mine, the Colorado Lode, to Mary Kane in 1868, then begins his next sentence 57 years later before a congressional committee as the film cuts to an old newsreel of Thatcher testifying before the committee. 57 years after 1868 would be 1925 as talking pictures were at best still in the experimental stage and in any case not in use in 1925. It would not be realistic that the newsreel of Thatcher testifying before Congress would have sound. Similarly, the sequence immediately following Thatcher's testimony stated by the announcer as that same month in Union Square depicting the radical speaker denouncing Kane would also not have had sound. This is all very, very true. I know because I just uh, finished rewatching Babylon for a third time before, I, before recording this podcast. Um, that's all very, very true. Anachronisms. Audiovisual unsynch unsynchronized. When Jim Geddes reveals Kane's mis mis mistress to his wife, when Jim Geddes reveals Kane's mistress to his wife, Geddes shouts to Kane, We've got proof. It will look bad in the papers. Looking closely, he actually said it will look good in the papers. <laughs> All right, yep, yep. They probably had to edit that, switch good to bad. You know. At the end of her interview with the reporter Thompson, Susan Alexander Kane says, "Come around sometime and tell me the story of your life." But as she says this, her mouth is not moving. I think I might have picked up on that. <laughs> when Kane shouts at Jim Geddes from the stairwell, it is clear, clear that most of the words he is saying are not coming out of his mouth. True, 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 very true. Yeah, because we don't see any uh, mouth moving. All we hear is... We don't see mouth moving. All we hear is words. So they could just be coming from, like, God or... You know, they could just be just be coming from like the narrator who's like broken into the movie now. <laughs> While standing at the large fireplace, Kane says to Susan, I don't care to visit New York. The video of Kane's mouth movements is not synchronized with the audio. <laughs> Man, I tell you, you know, audio visual synchronization. I feel like that's a lot of old movies though. It's a lot of old movies and it just kind of leaves things up to the imagination. So, it is what it is. Cooler equipment visible. At the party scene where Kane dances with the girls, there are several shots of his reflection in the mirror. The camera shoots directly into the mirror and its silhouette can be clearly seen. Good to know. Good to know. Um, <laughs> there's a camera shadow on the large doors 
to the Thatcher vault as Thompson enters. Yep, cam camera shadow. And uh, lastly, when Kane and Thatcher are having a heated discussion in the newspaper office, they both suddenly stand. A shadow of the camera is then visible on Thatcher's back. <laughs> I tell you, man, you guys, you guys got to get get all this camera equipment out of there. You know, get you know, make sure it's not invisible. You know, crew and equipment visible. Make sure it's not visible. You know, otherwise we're gonna point it out. All right. Let that be a lesson to the last of you. Make sure your equipment's not visible on camera. Character error. In the projection room after the news on the march reel, Joseph Cotton can clearly be heard saying, yeah, sure. <laughs> I feel like I heard that. Uh, I picked up on that one. On to some quotes. Mr. Bernstein, old age, it's the only disease, Mr. Thompson, that you don't look forward to being cured of. Very true. And then Jedediah Leland, this was at the nursing home, or at the hospital, says, I can remember everything. That's my curse, young man. It's the greatest curse that's ever been inflicted on the human race. Memory. Uh, Mr. Bernstein, a fellow will, remind, will remember a lot of things you wouldn't think he'd remember. You take me. One day, back in 1896, I was crossing over to Jersey on the ferry, and as we pulled out, there was another ferry pulling in. And on it, there was a girl waiting to get off. A white dress she had on. She was carrying a white parasol. I only saw her for one second. She didn't see me at all. But I'll, but I'll bet a month hasn't gone by since, since that I haven't thought of that girl. Impressive. Susan Alexander. I don't know many people. Kane. I know too many people. I guess we're both lonely. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that, that, that's actually like one of my favorite lines in the movie. <laughs> I know too many people. I guess we're both lonely. <laughs> Kane, I don't think there's one word that can describe a man's life. Very, very true. Very, very true. All right. On to user review. See it for what it is. Okay, look. Let me settle something between those who love and hate this film. A lot of people hail this film because it is technically brilliant and groundbreaking. Director Orson Welles did a lot of things visually that no one had ever done before. Nearly every filmmaker was in some way influenced by this movie. This movie also had a great impact in its time. The title character was based on media giant William Randolph Hearst. He was the greatest. He was that generation's Donald Trump. He opposed this film so much he did everything in its power to stop its release and almost succeeded. Lastly, this film contains some of the strongest and most common themes in literature, life versus death. It is for these reasons why this film is so revered. On the contrary, people who hate this film mainly complain that it is boring, which is a legitimate complaint. The story is slow compared to today's standards, and there is no real Hearst character alive today in which to relate. So yes, the story on the surface is outdated. However, this does not make it a bad movie. It was not made as a Matrix slash Star Wars type of movie, which can be enjoyed at a surface level. This is not pure entertainment. Remember, there is more to film than storytelling. This film was designed to be cinematically beautiful and to tell a basic love story, basic story of love and redemption. There is much more to the story than the thinly veiled attack on Hearst. One just needs to look deeper. Look at Shakespeare or Hawthorne, for example. Their literary works are universally loved. 
yet many people blow them off because they refuse to look past the outdated language into the beautiful prose and simple ubiquitous themes just because something is outdated does not mean it lacks worth in today's world my advice is those who did not like like it the first time or have not seen it yet is simple watch it again for what it is do not expect to be on the edge of your seat for two hours watch it for the cinematography that alone makes this film along among the best i don't agree with the afi's number one ranking but i think it still ranks high look deeper into the story and try to connect with it on some level at the very least appreciate how influential this film was and where the industry would be without it if you can do this then maybe some of the naysayers will change their minds again you do not have to love citizen kane but at least respect it for what it is You know, honestly, I could have just like read that review and then just that could have that, that could have been the episode. To be honest, uh, this was from Gobo Socks on IMDb, and it was published April twenty first, two thousand four. So this review is almost twenty years old. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, the 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 story is kind of slow. It's not a it is not a movie that can be that can be. Um, it's not a movie that can be enjoyed with, like, on a surface level. It's not like Star Wars. It's not like The Matrix. It's not like any of the movies we got today, any of these big-budget, you know, Marvel movies that we usually talk about here on uh, Cops Corner. So the movie's definitely a product of its time. And, yeah, you know, William William Randolph Hearst, who we mentioned in the, uh, who we mentioned in the trivia portion. And... And yeah, you know, the William Randolph Hearst. So it's kind of a product of its time, and it was revolutionary for that time period. Although, again, it did not get great reviews initially, and then it was re released in like, in, in like the 1950s. And so. But yeah, I completely agree with uh, this person. You know, take it for what it is. Uh, do I agree with AFI putting this as number one? Probably not. I feel like. You know, we got 99 other movies to watch after this one, so I feel like there's probably going to be some much, much better films than this one on this list, I, gu I guarantee you. Um, but I think this, this movie should definitely be among the top 100 like greatest films of all time. Uh, it was great in its time, and you know, there's something to be... Learn there's certain like timeless takeaways, timeless themes, sort of. So, overall, this movie has a, an 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb and a 4.2 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd. So, score's about the same. About the same. 8.3 8, 8 out of 10, 8.3 out of 10, 4.2 out of 5. So, yeah, it's about the same score. Math wise. Official details. The movie was released on September 5th, 1941 in the United States. It's an American movie. Apparently it has a Facebook. Uh, the movie's in English and Italian. It's also known as American. I guess outside the United States they maybe call this movie American instead of Citizen Kane. Filming locations. Uh, Bush Gardens. Uh, St. Grove Avenue. Pasadena, USA. 
the Xanadu, the Xanadu, Xanadu, Xanadu grounds. That that was the name of the uh, name of the castle, Xanadu grounds. Although it's been demolished, um, yes, uh, Esgrove Avenue, uh, Bush Gardens, Pasadena, California. Production companies: RKO Radio Pictures and Mercury. Mercury Productions. Uh, box office. It had an estimated budget of $839,727. Its gross domestic box office haul in the U.S. and Canada was $1,627,530, so about $1.6 million. So definitely made a huge profit at the box office, and its gross worldwide, um, worldwide it made, again, $1.6 million. Made only about a... $1,645,944 worldwide, so only about another 18000 dollars uh, worldwide. So the majority of that money was made at home in, in the U.S. and Canada domestically. So uh, Rotten Tomatoes, tomato meter score 99%. It's a near-perfect Rotten Tomato score. There's very few movies that have a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. I have no problem with them giving it 99%. Audience scored 90%. I'd give it maybe like a 97%. Um, the Critics Consensus. Orson Welles' epic tale of a publishing tycoon's rise and fall is entertaining, poignant, and inventive in its storytelling, earning its reputation as a landmark achievement in film. Where, do you, where to watch? You can rent Citizen Kane on Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, and Vudu, or buy it on Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, or Vudu. Again, you guys know me. I'm old school. I watched it on DVD. So, <laughs> yeah. You can also watch it on DVD, if you can find one. Well, um, that is all for today's review of Citizen Kane. If you like what you heard today, then don't forget to give us a review on your favorite li- on your favorite podcast uh, listening listening app, wherever you're listening for, uh, preferably five stars, uh, or to just to let us know what you guys thought of thought of today's episode. If you got a movie or a movie series that you want me to review next, then all you got to do is hit me up on Instagram, TikTok, or Threads. I am going to start posting more on Threads. And you can also email me at cobbscornerpodcast at gmail.com. All that information is shown below. If you made it to the end of this episode, I greatly appreciate it. Be sure to turn on those post notifications so you get notified when I post. And tune in to Talk Time with Morgan Cobbs Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Chook Standard Time live on YouTube. Available everywhere else the next day. I hope you guys enjoyed your stay here at Cobbs Corner and I'll talk to all of you in the next episode. Peace.